0: You're listening to 50 Plus a Tip, the show for strippers, ethical sluts, and other open minded hoes. Hey guys, welcome back. It's Danica, and this week we are sitting down with Master Chef winner Courtney LaPresse, a brilliant cook who also happens to have 11 years of experience in the adult entertainment industry. Courtney LaPresse is an adult entertainer, pole artist, and digital creator. She is most widely known as a season five winner of MasterChef and author of Everyday Fancy, 65 Easy Elegant Recipes for Meals, Snacks, Sweets, and Drinks. With 11 years in the adult entertainment industry and a BFA in dance performance from the University of the Arts, Courtney has been awarded titles such as Entertainer of the Year and Pole Champion and has worked in clubs in Philadelphia, Atlantic City, Denver, and South Florida. We are super excited to sit down with Courtney and pick her brain about MasterChef Chef and being a sex worker, and we know you guys are going to love this episode. So here you go. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us, Courtney.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, we're super <laughs> excited to chat with you about um, about everything. So you've been 11 years in the adult entertainment industry. Uh, what avenues did you work in?
1: Yeah, 11 years kind of that flies by. It surprised me when I actually thought about it and realized that I passed that 10 year mark. Um, I started, I've done most of my work in clubs. Um, I started dancing in Philadelphia, um, in 2010 and, um, was in clubs all the way through until most recently when the pandemic came around and the clubs got shut down. Um, I had jobs in between here and there. You know, you never really leave the club. You just kind of take longer breaks in between. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's one of those things where you never really retire from being a stripper. And I think that's okay. (laughs) Uh, I would say I made the biggest leap from being in clubs to being online and that was, that was just a completely different avenue and it almost felt like baby stripper all over again because you don't really know how to promote yourself. You're not in a facility where your, you know, people are coming to you. You have to put yourself out there. And it's just been, it's been very different and exciting at the same time because you Learning how to be my persona that I am in a club on the internet has been a little bit of a journey, a little bit of a challenge, um, but I've enjoyed it so far.
0: So what avenues of uh, digital sex work are you doing right now, then?
1: Currently, I have an OnlyFans page. Um, I have experimented with cam sites and... Campsites just didn't make a great fit for me. Um, that's not to say it doesn't make a good fit for anybody. I just haven't found out how to enjoy that avenue. Um, I do enjoy my OnlyFans page, which um, is just kind of... it's. It's interesting how when you decide to get into digital sex work choosing what kind of content you're going to put out there and how you're going to bring yourself into the internet. Um, because when you are in a club, you can do pull tricks, you can do party tricks, you can have great conversation, but when you are on the internet, like you're just, someone's just scrolling through to catch, something's got to catch their eye and what is that going to be? So, so far I've flown under the radar with it and I think that I've really just come into a place where for so long I felt that I had to be quiet about my sex work and my time in clubs and it took me until now to realize that there's nothing to be embarrassed by and I'm almost I wouldn't say that I'm sad that I felt embarrassed at any point because I didn't, but I think it's just even more important now to be proud of my history in clubs and be proud that I have the ability to connect with people in a way that not a lot of people are comfortable with.
0: Mm -hmm. Definitely. And you say like, it's important now. Uh, what makes now important?
1: I would say that I would say that just being genuine to myself and being honest with myself about what brings me joy and what is authentic to me, I think that's what makes the now the most important. I think that in the past 10 years, there's been a dramatic shift between Reducing this stigma towards sex workers. Um, When I when it first became kind of apparent that I was in clubs and I was stripping, I was I was just met with so much negativity that I wanted to stay far away from it, and it didn't feel fair to me because I had achieved so much with my time in clubs that I was really proud of myself. And I I feel like I did myself a disservice by not sticking up for myself and saying, whoa, 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 like, sex work can be really cool and really rewarding and I want to show you how that happened for me. Um, I think that especially in the past year, it has become a topic of conversation. You see everyone talking about digital platforms and you see, you know, it almost becomes like an inside joke between everyone. Oh, put that on OnlyFans. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) it's getting attention and it's losing that stigma. And that's something that I think is so important. Mm -hmm.
0: Definitely.
2: Um, So we read some articles that stated your profession as a burlesque entertainer, while others stated it as an aerial artist and others as a stripper. How would you define yourself and has that changed over the past 10 years?
1: Yeah, I think that's why I'm really comfortable with the term sex worker, because sex worker is an umbrella term for anybody in the industry. I mean... You go to a strip club, your bartender is a sex worker. Your manager is a sex worker. You run an OnlyFans page and you have someone, you know, doing administrative work for you. Guess what? You're a sex worker too.
0: Um, Mm -hmm.
1: The term aerial dancer was not really something that I was pleased with. Um, I had listed my profession as aerialist. And I called myself an aerialist because I was getting paid to perform aerials in nightclubs in Atlantic City. That was my job. I was, it was so much fun. I was literally hoisted 25 feet in the air in nightclubs. And I would hang out for 15, 20 minutes just kind of spinning. I had, an, I had one that was a heart shape. I had one that was like this diamond shape. And they would lower me down after 20 minutes and then I would go into a dressing room for an hour That's and then perfect. I'd come back out. <laughs> oh, that was my job. It was so much fun. It was like taking the, my favorite parts of working in a club, which was being on stage. So I just got to be the performer and I, I loved that. Um, so aerialist was what... I had wanted to be billed as. I wanted to be, you know, Courtney Lopressi, aerialist. But it came through as aerial dancer, which opened up the opportunity for a lot of critics to say, aerial dancer is just a fancy way of saying stripper. And I was not embarrassed by being a stripper. It was just that at that point in my life, That was the job title that I had. Of course, I was still in clubs, but I wanted to be known as an aerialist because that was what I was doing at the time that I was the most excited about. Even when I was in the clubs, I I worked out of an amazing club that allowed me to have my aerial apparatuses um, hanging from the ceilings, and I got to perform in them on, you know, in my club. And so I just, the sex work was just the background. Giving private dances, selling champagne rooms. That was just the background for me. It felt like my job was entertaining in the air.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so we read an article when we were doing our research and, um, you were quoted as saying, I've done things I'm not proud of not being able to pay my rent I made the difficult, embarrassing decision to work in a gentleman's club. So I know, God knows, that I have said some things that people quoted me, and I was like, ooh, <laughs> I like, could take that back, or I could change that. So we wanted to just bring that up and give you the chance to kind of talk on that quote. Um, do you consider your career um, in sex work as a source of embarrassment? Um, or looking back how do you feel about that statement? And I know you kind of allude to before that there was a period where you were kind of like feeling a little bit of shame or that you couldn't be as proud of what you were doing. So yeah, we thought we'd just give you a chance to kind of explain that statement a bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's something that I've wanted to talk about for a long time. Uh, I remember, I remember on Twitter seeing people kind of pop up and say like, But why did you have to say you were embarrassed? Why couldn't you have just owned it? And it would have been an opportunity to really break through that stigma right off the bat. And people are totally right. I think at that point, when I made that statement, it was, I knew that it was going to be the first time that everybody found out. I knew that, that that there was not going to be any other way for me to explain to my friends, family, loved ones about what was going on. And I mean... The part that really strikes me when I hear it again is saying the embarrassing decision. And that really sticks with me because I'm so proud of the work that I've done in clubs. I'm really proud of it. I have so many accolades. I made a name for myself as... A stripper in Philadelphia. I mean, my mom came to my show and watched me be crowned entertainer of the year for the second consecutive year. That's awesome. And everyone called her Mrs. Winter because my stage name was Winter and they didn't know what to call her. <laughs> <laughs> They, like, like bought her bellinis and, like, gave my mom the VIP experience. And I do wish that I had chosen any other word than embarrassed because I'm not embarrassed by any of my time in clubs. All of my siblings know about it. My family knows about it. My grandmother has a picture of me in my tiara on her television, she, I don't know, like, if she knows, I don't know if she knows that I was, like, topless in performing, but she just won, a, I won a pageant, you know? Um, I think that just the whole experience, everything leading up to my time, like, on television and everything leading after, I do believe that if I had, if I had owned it on television the way I owned it in my initial MasterChef audition, I think that it would have been okay. If you're getting my way, because when I went to that MasterChef audition, I said, "My name is Courtney." I have a BFA in dance performance. I am a ballerina, but at nighttime I work in a strip club. And they were like, oh my God, we want to talk to you. <laughs> you know? So like if I guess that just means that I have a lot of work to do moving forward in dismantling this stigma because I'm I'm proud of my work and I support sex workers in being the best that they can be. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I could yeah. only imagine, like, obviously, we do the podcast, but regardless, I'm st- I still live my personal life very separate from that, and I use my dancer name for the podcast. I could only imagine what it would be like to talk about it on television with a bunch of cameras pointing at you and how deer in a headlights I would feel, like, no matter how, how proud I am about what I do, right?
1: yeah. It's I mean, 10 years ago in clubs it was a very separate world. You are so and so outside of your club and you are so and so inside of out, inside the club. Um, you make that transition and that's why we have stage names. And I think that I think that people forget that part. Stage names are there for your protection not so much oh I want to be called this there very much is a separation of your life because you are creating a fantasy and it's a a really lovely fine line that you begin to walk when you are suddenly on television and you are open about your experience and then even so now being like yes I've been a sex worker for 11 years yes I have a digital platform yes you can find me there it's like I'm beginning to really whittle down that fantastical idea of the sex work persona and really truly genuinely being myself as my content
0: Mm -hmm. and no I completely um echo what you saying I'm I'm a very out there sex worker I you know have I go to I have the podcast and I used to promote it on my personal Instagram as well so you know all 1500 people that know me as my real name and from my hometown know the podcast and then I guest lecture at a local university, and I have my book clubs and that, and I'm very open about being a sex worker, but I definitely have days still, and I've been doing it for seven years now, um, where I'm like, I bet life would be a little easier if not everyone that's met me was like, oh, you're Danica, the sex worker, right? <laughs> like, like, as, like, the first thing they ever get to know about me. And I had that the other day. My girlfriend um, moved to town, and she was hanging out with some people I know I'm not super close with and one of the first things they said to her was like Danica is a stripper right and my girlfriend was like yeah Danica's also like x y and z but like okay sure like that's the first thing you like want to tell me about her so as much as like I'm like yeah I am proud of like how much I've accomplished and how much I fight for sex workers rights and all these things I also still don't want that to be my be-all, end-all of who I am and have to constantly carry that stigma before anyone ever gets a chance to meet me, like the real me. Um, so yeah, I definitely definitely think it's hard. And, and no matter how many years you're in the industry, I think that's always something we'll feel probably until the glorious day when, like, all the stigmas are abolished about sex work (laughs) 10,000 years from now. But, um, so, yeah, no, when we um, read that quote, I was like, yeah, we have to ask for that because um, I think just reading it, you'd be like, what, what the fuck? Why is she, like, embarrassed at, like, sex work? It's like, well, I think we all, not embarrassed, but I think we all wish we didn't have to carry that shame that, like, society puts on you. Um, yeah. and, and Riley made a good comment too. She says, maybe, you know, maybe she said it because the platform she was on. And I think that's the thing too, um, that we've talked about is the way we approach the conversation and how much pride we show in our industry kind of depends on the audience we're facing too. Like when I'm at my sex worker book club or at the university, I'm very like, fuck yeah, i done it for seven years, blah, blah, blah. And I'm super proud. The terms we use are different, um, But then when you're in an audience that you know might not be as receiving of it, you kind of do feel that pressure to dilute the pride you feel. Um, And I don't know if that's kind of like how you felt in that moment, but I I can sympathize with that kind of feeling.
1: Yeah, I feel similarly. It's almost like you feel a little pressure to be apologetic because you don't know what the response is going to be. And that's something that I I would like to see be removed, you know, part of reducing that stigma. We shouldn't have to apologize upfront for something that we might think somebody else feels a certain way about. Um, something that I've really been noticing that's made me feel really good and confident. um, I just kind of started sprinkling into my social media platforms about my life as a sex worker. And the response I've gotten has been overwhelmingly positive. And the response has also been a lot of Requests for information. Originally, you know, 10 years ago, when I was only receiving death threats on Twitter, like genuine death threats on Twitter, um, we can get into that later, but for this, it was more of how dare you or you're fake. This is a lie. Um, you don't deserve things. And now it's where are your favorite places to get outfits? And what are some of your, uh, the most fun things that happen to you during a shift at night? What's your favorite part of your job? I got a question that was like, um, would you consider people who work at, like, Hooters sex workers, like, how do they, where does that fall into the category? And I just really love the conversation that's being generated around this and kind of putting that little bit out there to test the waters of, okay, it's been this many years since I was on TV. What do my, what do my followers Think if we bring this conversation up again, are they going to meet me with support and kind of curiosity? Or are they going to say, Courtney, go back in the kitchen and shut up, like put your heels on, go flip a pancake, whatever you need to do. Um, but I've been really grateful for the support that I've received. And it's also kind of what's propelling me to keep going because I feel like the people who support me will stick around and the people who don't support me just are going to go away. They might come back to bother me and poke and prod, but they're not adding value, so eventually they'll disappear, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: I always call it, like, the trash taking itself out when, like, people, like, (laughs) kind of out themselves as, like, a non— uh, someone who doesn't support sex workers. Like, if I'm like, oh, I'm a sex worker, they're like, ew. I'm like, oh, perfect. Like, you did the job for me. Like, I already know where you're at, and like, we, I'm not gonna fuck with you. <laughs> like, so it's like the trash taking itself out.
1: One of the most um, supportive things that my family has done for me most recently was um, I was spending time with my brother and his wife, and his wife used the term sex worker and I, it kind of like I did a double take because I wasn't expecting to hear that. And she said, well, I wanted you to know that we enlightened ourselves and we did a little bit of research and we support you. And that just felt so good to hear, like to show that yeah, i have done a little bit of work on my end to show you that I care about you. That's awesome. You know, yeah. and, it, and it means it means so much. It's a small thing to do, but it it, it carries a lot of value and it goes a long way.
0: A hundred percent. That's really yeah. sweet. Um, so, also when we were prepping, you um, you mentioned stripping as a in quote luxury sales. Can you explain yeah. what you meant when what you meant by that to the listeners? Because I already love it, but <laughs> go on.
1: I mean, God, where do I begin? So it kind of comes out of you hear the same things over and over again when you're in a club. You It's almost like you see the same person over and over again. And people will try and say, like, I don't know why you have to be here selling this when you could be selling Lamborghinis or yachts. And it's like, ugh. Please don't make me do that. I've been there. I've done that. I've sold luxury cars. And I'll tell you, the most luxury item that I can sell is my time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My time, yeah. my presence, my experience. And I am not sorry for that. You know, we often say, know your worth and add tax, but quite literally, if somebody can comfortably buy a $160,000 vehicle, then they can spend $1,000 on an hour of my attention. Mm-hmm. And it's not, I wanna make it really clear that it, it's not, most of the, the guests that come to a club are not people who are starving for attention. They are people who want to have a good time and they want the company that they are sharing to be conducive to that good time. You go to a nice restaurant, you want to have an incredible experience from the hostess to your server to your meal. When you go to a club, you want to have a great experience from your bartender, your stripper, your even where you're sitting in the club, everything about it. So it's, it's very much creating an experience. And I often tell people who visit me things like, okay, when you go to a club, everybody's got two stories. First story goes, we went to the strip club. We spent so much money and it was awful. And then two, we went to the strip club. We spent so much money and it was amazing. (laughs) I want to be the girl that you said it was amazing Mm -hmm. can I have that opportunity that's that's luxury sales nobody wants to have a shitty time buying a yacht you want to feel great about it
0: (laughs) I mean I will buy like someone can buy me a yacht just so I can like you know I can give you more info on that if I've had a great time doing it. I have not had that luxury yet of uh, someone buying me y'all because I know I ain't going to buy it myself. <laughs> but I'm sure I'd have a great time. <laughs> um, I love that. I might I might have to steal those, those lines. I know. That's great. <laughs> in my sales tactics. Um, so obviously you are known for being on MasterChef. Uh, what made you decide to go on MasterChef? Were you a professional cook before the show?
1: No way! Um, oh, crazy! I was not a professional cook, but I was a professional YouTube watcher. Um, I just really like what it. What it really grinds down to is, I grew up in a house at, that was fueled by a lot of creativity. My mom was always making things and she was always trying to make them really special um we didn't have a lot of money so it wasn't physical like things you could buy at the store that were gifts but it would be like my mom made me a birthday cake that looked like my favorite Disney princess and that was special to me or for Christmas she would make a gingerbread house that was just stunning so I found that I would watch videos of things being done and, you know, pulling luxury experience back into it. You go to a restaurant and you pay all of this money for a dessert. But why, why are you spending this much money on a dessert? What goes into it? I want to get to the bottom of that. And then you kind of learn what goes into it. And you're like, okay, I want to try and figure this out myself. And because, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a ballet dancer, I'm a performer, I'm a visual learner. Um, I would watch a series of videos on one specific subject and then I would try and replicate it. And I just started kind of doing that over and over again. Um, it became almost a game of how far homemade can I take this like, as far homemade as, like, I grew this plant and then I turned it into this. Or, you know, how far away from the box at the grocery store can I get to, to creating this? And I started watching the TV show. I started watching MasterChef, and I started to, like, get irritated with contestants because I could see three steps ahead of what was going to happen. Ooh, if you do that, this person's going to say this to you. And if you do that, this person's going to like it. And I started to watch it to where I got to the point where I'm, I'm a Capricorn, so I'm wildly competitive. <laughs> I got to the point where I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to just do it myself. I can do this. I'm going to go win this TV show. And what do you know? I like I took I did. It was so weird. I I just I don't know. Was it because I binged watched four seasons of it and then dove into wanting to go and do it? Or was it just the next thing in my life that I wanted to accomplish? Like I wanna go and meet this person, so I'm gonna go on their TV show. Or I really like cooking and I feel like I've figured out how to how to play this game. Because it's a game. You know, it's a competition. It's a reality competition. But it's a game too. And how do you how well can you play this game to stay in as long as you can? I don't know. I guess that's kind of how it happened. <laughs> I just watched <laughs> enough of the show that I was like Give me, give me a shot. Put me in coach. I can do this. (laughs) I mean,
2: you must have, you know, a bit of talent at least. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. It's not just structural uh, learning. (laughs)
1: Uh, I mean, I, I had enough in my back pocket, but you, there's no way you can truly be prepared for what they're going to throw at you. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of things that came up that I was like, I've never seen this before, but I've watched a video. And now I'm going to try and do it. Mm. Yeah. And those moments were the most fun for me. Do you
2: still enjoy cooking the same after the show? Or did you kind of reach the pinnacle and you're like, next
1: thing? Um, I do still love cooking. I tried to work in restaurants for a very brief period of time. You know those times in between clubs? <laughs> never... I never, I never loved it. I really enjoy cooking when. Well, just like when I'm at the club, when you're at the club, well, for me, when I'm at the club, I love the reaction from the people who are watching me perform. If I can get somebody in the club to to clap for me, how often do you hear applause in a strip club? You know, <laughs> like if I can get them to clap for me, like that's, that's my dopamine rush. That is so satisfactory. And so when I'm making food for somebody, the response that I want is that silence when they're eating, that they're enjoying it so much that they really have nothing to say. They just, they like it. So, I really do it for, for those moments, for those moments where people just feel good. I want people to feel good when they're around me. And I have all of these skills to help them do that, whether it's with food or conversation or acrobatics or terrible dad jokes, <laughs> like I just want them to feel good. Because it makes me feel good, too. If you're happy, I'm happy.
0: 100%. I think that's, like, a a reoccurring theme with, um, okay, well, two reoccurring themes is, one, a lot of us have background in dance. <laughs> a lot of us. <laughs> and then a lot of us just, like, really do feed off entertaining, like, especially stage performers. Like, a lot of us really genuinely enjoy being good on stage and, like, having an audience enthralled with whatever we're capable of doing and having that like positive feedback. Um, I constantly hear that, um, that, that kind of concept from like a lot of different, a lot of different dancers.
1: That might also even be why I didn't enjoy camming or live streaming as much because I can't see my audience. I can't connect with them. I can't make eye contact. I can't see what their body language is telling me. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, that's actually a conversation. Riley and I literally just had, I think yesterday, the day before? Probably. (laughs) Every day um, about (laughs) how with cam work, we've both dabbled in it. And it was the same for us. Like We very much like in-person sex work um, at the club and that where you can you know lean forward you can watch them lean forward to you and you know watch their eyes light up when you say something right or share a laugh or share a <laughs> smile and it can be very awkward just looking at a screen and be like ha ha, ha finger guns like <laughs> no no one responding to you um yeah it's a whole i find it's a whole different beast um online work um so yeah we we feel the same <laughs>
2: Yeah, I I struggle to do sex work when I can't engage someone for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. There's a. It wasn't until I would say, late 2019, that I really came into my power as a sex worker, and I I say that in the sense of you know going back to luxury sales, because before all of my work had been, I'm going to excite you. I'm going to perform for you. I'm going to be a showstopper. But then I got into like learning what it means to connect with a person and give them a customized experience and listen to the words that they're saying or the the tone they have or their body language, all of these little things that kind of clue you in on how you can deliver exactly what they need exactly in that moment. And that was a really powerful time for me. And and that came from from dancing in Colorado because in Colorado there are not very many poles in clubs. It's primarily just stages. And I felt a little bit like, I don't have my, I don't have my thing. I don't, I don't have my gimmick or my, you know, apparatus to show you what I can do. And it really brought me into my conversation skills. And, and that's also, I noticed I began to develop genuine, like customer bases, people who would travel through and come to see me rather than just like, Oh, we have a bachelor party. I'm going to entertain these 15 people. It became more of like, okay, I'm, I'm booking our blocks where I spend time with different people and I get to know them. And it's a lot easier for me to have a good time because I'm not learning what they need and I'm not learning what kind of makes them tick or what makes them happy. I can just, we've already gotten past that point. Then you start to develop actual friendships with people. And God forbid you have a friendship with your stripper. Oh my God. (laughs) No,
2: it's the ones that fall in love with you that you got to watch out for. Mm,
1: And then then you have to, then you get into learning your boundaries and knowing when to enforce them. And, and that's with any business because if you have a business and you have a customer base and they are a good customer and then they start to ask for things and then you have to it that's when your boundaries come into play mm-hmm. and i talk about sales all the time it doesn't matter what you're selling it's all it's all interpersonal experiences relationships and and learning how to put those boundaries up so you can have the emotional wherewithal to have a, a high demand and to work that much and to be available in person and online and have a private life. You know, th- these are things that people learn when they are like big leaves. they run gigantic businesses or they manage a ton of wealth. It's just it's a level up, devil up kind of thing.
0: hmm Definitely. Um, so back to your experience on MasterChef, uh, were you nervous that your history and sex work um, would impact your performance on the show?
1: No. I was not nervous that my sex work would impact me on the show. Um, I say that so confidently because... <laughs> because let's be real the three the three judges they don't care about anything that you have done will do background whatever they care about what you're going to do in that 1 hour that they ask you to produce something for them and then you give it to them and if you do it badly then they're going to say well maybe you did this badly because you whatever, or you didn't respect this ingredient, or you didn't, um, whatever, like then they can kind of pull in what they know about you. And then if you do well with it, then they can pull in what they know about you to commend you for it. Um, I think that if anything, it, it affected me in a positive way in the sense of, I wore heels through every single challenge for the entire series. And that's because, I mean, what, we wear seven, eight inch heels every night in a club. And I was dancing literally on my toes for 15 years prior as a ballet dancer. So yeah, walking around in a six and a half inch heel is no big deal for me. And it was almost like adding insult to injury to my competitors. Or so it was like the whole Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers things. It's like, yeah, you might have done that, but she also did it and she did it in high heels. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I feel like that's a saying for sex workers is everything you can do, we can do in like eight inch
0: platforms. <laughs> 100%. Um, so as you mentioned before, you're kind of outed as a sex worker. Um, on national television because and I assume what you're referring to is because they put the aerial dancer on and then people kind of looked into it more and and whatever Um, so I assume that's kind of how it happened kind of outing
1: yes and no the how it really happened was you know what happens if you don't win this show? What are what are you gonna do if you don't win? Or, you know, that was kind of like at the tail end. It's like, well, if I if I don't win, obviously I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna be working in clubs. So then it was kind of like I was being attacked for oh sob story. If you don't win, you're going to be a stripper. And then on the front end of like my introduction to this audience, it was like, Hey, I'm a really cool person. I do these wildly different things on two ends of a spectrum and somewhere food just kind of drops in the middle. So it really made me stand out sharing that bit of information about me. It was, it was the you know how I was saying earlier when you're scrolling through what makes you stand out on the internet? It was what makes this girl stand out from all of these other people who applied to this show? Oh, she's she's a stripper, and we've never had that before. So we want everybody to know that this is what makes her different. And that was a... a that made me feel pretty vulnerable just because... You know the the TV show is still airing in new countries. I get waves of new people from different countries following me on social media. It's and I it's the first they've heard of me, and it's been eight years.
0: Crazy. Yeah. Um, speaking of being vulnerable, obviously. I'm sure, like you said, you've had a lot of supporters that were like, ooh, like, tell me more about this. Like, let's have a genuine, like, healthy conversation. But you also received a lot of really shitty backlash from people. Um, Can you share with us what that looked
1: like? Yeah. Yeah. That looked like me not being able to stay in my apartment anymore that looked like me having to contact the FBI because I was getting threats that said, I know where you live because of public records. And it looked like finding images of me in clubs and then posting them onto contestants from the MasterChef Junior television show. And then it looked like people messaging me saying, the only place I would like to see you naked is dead in a ditch. It was just hundreds of messages. It was like somebody took the time to write a 100 hate tweets and then prepared 50 Twitter accounts and then... Every time one got deleted, a new one came up and it went on for months.
0: So, so how did you deal with it? Either like mentally, I know you said you had to call the cops a few times, you had to move a move out of your place. How did you deal with like healing from that?
1: Um, well, at first I dealt with it really poorly because I took it so personally that it affected my ability to kind of stand in my own power. And initially, I just, I wanted it to all go away. I don't want to see it delete it all, delete it all, make it go away. Um, and then when I realized, okay, this isn't going to go away, I need to just be prepared for this. Um, then I just kind of kept trucking with what I was doing. I was writing my cookbook. I was, um, you know, at that point, I had moved to Colorado. I was just, like, in a new scene, new environment. People didn't recognize me as much. Um, But what what I have changed since all of that has happened is that now when I get... Negativity on social media that says like aren't you just that stripper slut who blah 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 I'll find that person's profile and
0: <laughs> I'm gonna find you
1: find <laughs> <Can> you <laughs> but if, you're, if your profile is public I will go and like a few of your images and I will say something genuinely nice and most of the time I will get a private message that says, oh my goodness, I didn't think that you would respond. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean what I said. And it's just kind of like a little reminder of like, excuse me, um, I'm a real person and um, I was having my coffee when I saw your message and um, it hurt my feelings. But I just want you to know that like, I think you have really pretty eyebrows and I like your style and I wanted to come bless your page with a little bit of love Um, and maybe you'll think twice before coming to attack me because you watched a tv show you know yeah Uh, so that's how I've been handling it lately it's dramatically decreased over the years um I'm I can handle it. I'm a lot more well-equipped to handle those things now. Um, and also... <laughs> I feel silly saying this, but it's kind of like... It also proves that I'm still relevant. And it <laughs> also, <laughs> So, like, you're... Come on, you're not... At this point, it's been since 2014, you're not hurting my feelings anymore and I'm glad that I could have been a part of your day that you had to reach out to me specifically, like, to tell me that you don't like me, like thumbs up to you
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's so big of you, I would have definitely been like oh, your page is public? Like, who's your employer? And now they know what you said
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't need to take it that far just because for my own emo- my own emotional boundaries, I can't I can't give someone that much attention in my life.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I can I can only give them the opportunity to be like I was mean to her and she was nice to me back.
2: Dumb bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah, and
1: I think she'd still be nice to me. But but kind of going back to what you said about like how we get these titles. Um, if you Google my name. It says like in the top right corner Courtney Lapressssy stripper and it's like yeah I yeah where is the lie there's that there's no lie mm-hmm. but at the same time it's like I'm I'm that and so much more exactly a hundred
0: percent I completely agree. I think again your other accolades somehow get overshadowed by sex work. Um, and I think with time too, as I you know, even just the seven years I've been in the industry, I've noticed, um, the shock value of singer and sex work has gone down, which is a good thing. Um, so hopefully it still continues on that trend with like the newer generations coming out. Um, so we're hopeful. <laughs> uh, so do you feel like being on and
2: winning MasterChef impacted your sex work career?
0: But either offline or online or yep. both. And if so, how? Like, people are like, I want to see the really great cooker naked.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, everyone will have an opportunity to do that now, I guess, (laughs) since I've been so open about it. Um, But I have been very... I've kept the two separate for... Up until now, I've kept it separate. Um, There have only been... Maybe a handful of times where I have been in the club or on stage and somebody recognizes me. Mm -hmm. And those are some interesting moments because it starts off with like, they look at me and then they look at their phone and then they look at me (laughs) and And I kind of know what's going on. So I'll come down. I'll get a little closer to them, I'll ask them to tip me, and they just will look at me and be like, do you like to cook? And at <laughs> that point, it's kind of like, ding, 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 ding. All right, you win this round, like, we're getting an hour VIP, and I will tell you. Yeah. You know, it, but it's not something, I haven't been recognized in the clubs as often as I thought that I would. Um I mean I'm I look very different now but I I don't know what it will do for my sex working career. If anything it'll just be more of a lot of like questions and reliving some fun memories of TV or some people might not even be interested in it at all. They might not they might not care. I don't care about what you did in a kitchen. I want to know what you're gonna do right here in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So who who knows? Who knows what what the future holds for that? Um, yeah, OnlyFans is about to get real exciting. <laughs> I can imagine what the requests are gonna be. Can you cook me a scrambled eggs and in, in a pair of those? Like <laughs> sure, hundred <laughs> you know? percent. I feel like. Or, or like a dominatrix chef of like sending men on tasks to like, you know, I want you to make me a perfectly medium rare steak and I need pictures. And if you fuck it up, then you're not going to get shit from me. <laughs> like, <laughs> so many avenues we could take. <laughs> so two
0: things. One, I just realized I called you... The naked cooker, and I don't think "cooker" is a word. I think it's just cook. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's okay.
0: So clearly, I am sure not I'm a good sure. cooker.
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure that a couple. I think it was like I don't know. Was it Jamie Oliver got to start, and he called himself the naked chef.
0: There you um, go. See, there's a marker there's, for it for mm-hmm. sure.
1: There's totally. I I post on Instagram all the time. Um, slutty food.
0: Ooh. Hashtag
1: slutty. Food. It's my favorite. Slutty food is that food that you'd really, really enjoy, but you don't want anybody else to know you enjoy it. It's not a guilty pleasure because you don't feel bad about it. <laughs> That's like funny.
0: Uh You're a shameless slut. Um yeah. <laughs> No, you, I used to, when I worked in Fort Mac, Fort Mac was really known for like the stage sets and like full costumes and storylines and everything. So you should, you could totally have like a cooking storyline where you come up with like a, like a huge chef's hat and like slowly take it off, (laughs) cook like whisking eggs. (laughs) I feel
2: like you could just redo every challenge that you did, but make (laughs) it.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yes. Mm, Yes. I've... That is a great idea.
0: <laughs> we have lots more. We'll message you.
1: <laughs> so I, I genuinely did have a, a fun time making. I made a short clip of um, whipping heavy cream into whipped cream, and that was a very that was a very fun experience of just like a mix of dirty talk and, and whipping a bowl of heavy cream and having it like turn into whipped cream and splatter everywhere. And that, that, that was, that was a fun, that was a fun journey. I enjoyed making that.
0: (laughs) Love it. Uh, So we had some, quite a few listener questions. So we're going to narrow it down to a few because we're running on about an hour now. So the first question is, how do you feel that working in the adult entertainment industry prepared you to compete on the MasterChef? And they said, love you, by the way.
1: Yeah, I love you too. Um, I think it prepared me because, I mean, it was it was like going on stage every time. You have to present yourself. You have to be well spoken. You have to execute properly. You, I mean, every morning I would wake up and I would put my face on. I would. I even remember packing for MasterChef in the sense of, okay, you're going to be on television every single day. How do you want people to see you? What do you want to look like? And that's why I brought all of like my high heels. I was like, wait, what other opportunity am I going to have to wear a ton of Louboutins and have everybody see it? Like, <laughs> If not, no, when? Come on, let's do this. Um, being able to effectively communicate with a lot of different personalities. That was a big one. Obviously you're put in a in a competition with a lot of other different people and you know they kind of like shake you up and see who's going to start problems or, or what kind of energies arise out of that and being in a club when you're working with 50 other people and you're all there for the same thing. You all have the same goal. It, there are a lot of parallels and similarities within that.
0: I and that's one of the things that me and Ryan have talked about a lot before in the podcast too. And one of the reasons why it's so frustrating that we can't put stripper or sex worker on, you know, our resumes is because the amount of skills that you develop as a sex worker are, you know. Um, like infinite um so that's something that's frustrating for us too is that we see that parallel as well to like how much skill we have developed as a sex worker and how well that translates into our other careers um yeah there was another question here asking you know what are the similarities between sex work and being a chef but you kind of already answered that so um the next question how do I improve my baking skills like what if I want to bake something I'm not very familiar with
1: Yeah, um, okay. Watch, I would say watch a lot of videos. I jokingly say on Instagram when people will be like, how do I make this? And I say, well, just don't fuck it up. <laughs> but <laughs> genuinely, if you if you want to get, and this goes for anything, but if you want to make something, then do your research. Watch how the best people do it the people who, that's their specialty, that's what they're known for. Watch them, listen to what they say, and see how you can apply it yourself. Um, my favorite challenge that I did was the croquembouche, which was the cream puff tower, because I genuinely thought that I was going to fail, and it ended up being the best one that I did. And a croquembouche tower is just one cream puff, but you have to be able to assemble it to be that much more impressive. And a cream puff really just boils down to a pastry cream and a pastry dough called patish shoe. And then when you boil that down, pastry cream and patty shoe are literally just flour, butter, eggs, and sugar. So when you want to try to make something and you start and you see like that big goal of, I want to make this wonderful thing, kind of look at what the parts of it are and and master those smaller pieces because it's a lot easier to assemble them once you've mastered them than it is to just go for it all at once.
0: Yeah, yeah. So YouTube the shit out of it. Yeah, don't fuck it up and bring it down to its simplest form.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a long way to get there, but that's that's where my thought goes. You, you, I, I take a very um, thoughtful approach to a lot of the things that I create. Mm-hmm. Maybe I just get a little too methodical in my mind, but yeah.
2: <laughs> I
1: guess it works
2: though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is the favorite thing you've ever cooked?
1: My favorite thing I've ever cooked. I don't know. That's such a hard question because you cook for yourself like three times a day. How many days in a week? How many weeks in a year? So there's so many different things. Um, I think, I think... It either has to be that croquembouche that I just talked about because I really did think that I was going to fail. And if not that, I would say probably the first time I ever made um, a duck breast because I, I definitely fucked it up but I sent it to my best friend and she said, you know, I love that you send me your failures as well as your successes. <laughs> and that was just, that was just a nice touch. Um, but favorite things, I mean, gosh, my favorite things to make are the the things that take the least amount of ingredients, the least amount of equipment and the least amount of cleanup. <laughs> I want to get in and get out. <laughs>
0: Okay, well, I cook for myself three times a year. So if you need another friend to send you, even just your failures too, I will (laughs) gladly send you uh, my postal code. (laughs) Absolutely,
1: absolutely.
0: So the next question here from a listener was, what was the hardest challenge for you on MasterChef? So I guess um, besides the one you already shared, what was another challenge you found?
1: Um... Kind of a tie between every, I would say that most listeners really would want to hear me talk about the donut challenge because I was in the bottom three and I did almost go home that time, but the hardest I would say emotionally was the restaurant takeover because everything went wrong one after another, after another, after another. It was hot. It was crowded. It was busy. I got burned. Everything, everything sucked (laughs) in that challenge. But I will say that the donut challenge takes a very close second. I think I wrote in my diary that night, like, I fucking hated today. (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah so the next question is clearly someone who watches the show um, how was it taking everyone's BS people seem to be really mean to you during your master chef experience
1: yeah um if there's anything that I've learned in the past few years in regard to... Effective communication and, like, interpersonal relationships. It's that if you're not pissing people off, you are not doing something right. Because if you're making everybody happy and no one has anything to say to you, you're just, you're not making waves. And you see that with entrepreneurs you see that with celebrities. Um, I just genuinely didn't have the bandwidth to let it affect me. I was in my own zone. I was doing my own thing. And if they needed to do a lot of talking to cope with how they were handling the competition, that's fine. Um, I talked to myself and my food. I just. I'm going to put this cake in the oven and I'm going to wish it good luck. Um, it, it didn't, talking poorly about somebody else in the competition didn't make my food taste or look any better. So it didn't, and them talking about my food didn't make mine taste or look any worse. So it just wasn't necessary. It was, had no effect on me. It's interesting, the the, the Twitter haters had a bigger effect on me than the other competitors because I was so proud of the accomplishment I had on the show and for them to hate me just because I was a sex worker. But I did this. I proved this to you. I could do it. I made great stuff. Why do you hate me because of this? The other people didn't like me because I was just doing something better than they were. I was winning the competition, and they weren't. Rightfully so. They wanted to win. Can't blame them for that.
2: Mm -hmm. Do you feel like working as a sex worker equipped you to take more of that um, bullshit from other people?
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, being a sex worker, you hear no, and you receive rejection 85% of the time, if not more. Your whole evening or your whole work shift is... Hearing no, but you have to hear the no's to get to the yes. So, hearing everybody in the competition say that, you know, I ruffled their feathers, it was like, good, I should be. Because if I'm going to get in, if you're going to let me get in your head and it's going to cause you to spiral out, that's not my problem. But I'm not going to let you get into my head. I'm not going to let affect me it might've just rained on stage for this one girl and I go on stage and nothing happens. That doesn't mean I'm mad at her. It means that the people who were spending money chose to spend their money on her. And another day they're going to choose to spend it on me.
2: Um, What is your biggest regret either from the show or in life in general?
1: It's a loaded question because your biggest regret, I mean, I think that if I really had to think about regrets in my world and in my life, it would always come down to, I wish I took action. I wish I took action and I wish that I was confident more confident because if you're confident in what you're doing it means you've planned for it and you've thought about it so there's less risk for you to feel any kind of regret so yeah action I wish I took action I wish that I was louder about the negativity I received for being a sex worker I wish I wish that I proclaimed my successes in in sex work louder. Because truly it, it has been the backbone of most of my life. And the people who love me the most support me in any avenue I choose to take.
0: Okay. That's that's one of my like favorite quotes um, is, I'd rather a life of um, oh wells than what ifs. And I hate that. I hate that feeling of regretting that I hadn't done that. I hadn't made, I hadn't, how do I say it? I hadn't actioned. <laughs> I hadn't, <laughs> it's like I hadn't done what I should have or I wanted to. Or I didn't say what I wanted to or or thought of saying and I stopped myself. So I, yeah, personally, I'm the same. I hate the idea of like, oh, what if I had just done it? What if I had just said it? I'd rather, like, have tried it or said it and then been like, oh, okay, oh, well, it didn't work out or it didn't get the response I wanted. Um, So I I completely agree with you. That's one of mine as well. Um, Another question here was, has it been difficult for people to take you seriously after being in the adult entertainment industry? And if so, how do you deal with that?
1: I don't think that I've experienced difficulty in... Being taken seriously because I've, because of my history in sex work, Um, I I get a lot of pride from proving to people my worth and my value, and I it's very important for me upfront to prove that I can deliver. In what they are asking for. Um and then usually they begin to learn about me. And um when the topic of sex work comes up, it is almost always, I I had no idea. Wow, I would have never thought that. And it's kind of like, well, of course you would have never thought that because I didn't tell you about it. But at the same time, why are you so surprised? Why can't I do both of these things? Why can't I work for, you know, an office job and sell luxury items and have been a stripper? Like, what's the difference? I'm still arriving at a sale or I'm still a person at the end of the day. Um, I, I, I I haven't really come across that in recent history where I've I've needed to kind of have that conversation and if I did have to have that conversation I might even just see that as this is not a good opportunity for me and I would know to walk away
0: yeah I think people like it's funny how people react to that like it's like almost like someone saying like oh did you know they're a murderer though like it's like someone meets Riley and she's great and she's super nice and then you're like oh but she's a she's a sex worker and they're like oh, really? I would have never guessed it she seems so nice it's like as if you had told them like she murdered people and it's like really? She seems so nice though <laughs> like it's like it's so bizarre
2: that's one of my favorite things though is when people are like well you don't look like a sex worker and I'm like obviously you don't know what a sex worker looks like then
1: yeah what what does a sex worker look like? I'll tell you what a sex worker looks like a sex worker looks like somebody that you love and care about
0: Ooh, I like what that what look like <laughs> that's a good response to that Uh, The next question here, what is the first thing you bought with your MasterChef winnings? Did you buy that yacht?
1: (laughs) No, (laughs) no, no yachts. Um, what did I buy? And what was the first thing I bought? Um, I bought a series. I bought, oh, I'll I'll say this one. Um, I bought the cutting board. That was at our station for every episode. How cute. Yeah. yeah, that was nice. Um, but more like exciting things. Um, yes, I went and bought like four pairs of Louboutins. I went to New York and I got a whole bunch of them. Um, they were like my fun reward. But I bought like kitchen knives and reference books. And then I invested money because people seem to forget that sex workers are also really money savvy so I invested like a good girl yeah proud of you yeah
0: I would have hit the Louboutin store too yeah same (laughs) (laughs) I feel
1: like
2: it's such a it's such a good ending having that been talked about so much for you on the show is to then take the money and go buy more of them buy some red bottoms yeah
1: (laughs) because everyone's it's almost, um, I, I look at the heels as the thread that ties the two together the most. And there, yeah, there's something that I've always, I've always had. They're kind of my thing. And, uh, it's been, they've been fun. That's not a bad it's, thing it's, to be known for. No, I mean, I'm, I'm known for being a little crazy. So <laughs> not being known for having
0: Louboutins isn't a bad thing. <laughs>
1: Next up, though, I got to get a pair of custom ones. I got to get Christian to make me some for my feet. (laughs) Got to do it. If I can go and meet Gordon Ramsay and get him to eat my food, I can get Christian Louboutin to measure my feet and make me some heels.
0: That's your that, next that achievement.
1: comes next.
0: <laughs> <laughs> love it. Goals. I like them. Uh, the last listener question here. Riley and Danica have talked... Oh, a good little listener. Riley and Danica have talked about how important self-care is for sex workers. What is your self-care routine? Ooh, I love that.
1: Self-care. Um, well... I make a point to great routine for when I immediately get home from the club or I'm finished filming content for the day. And that routine is usually like a really nice shower. Um, I listen to music. I eat something and I give attention to my animals. Um, That would be like my daily self-care after work. Um, but bigger picture self or self work. Yeah. Um, Cooker. (laughs) Yeah. Um, therapy. I, I enjoy therapy. I think that it has helped me to become the best version of myself that I can be. Um, and sunshine. I got to get outside and see some sunshine as often as I can.
0: Well, it's a good thing you don't live in Vancouver then, because we got it today, but we, yeah, this will be the one time this month we'll get it. Um, okay, so before we let you go, there's three questions I ask to everyone that comes on, and they're a little more like rapid-fire questions. So the okay. first one is, what is one thing on your sexual bucket list that you haven't done yet but want to try?
1: Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, wait. No, I know this. Um, <sighs> I would like to have a threesome with two men. I want to be the star of that show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I want the applause. <laughs> <laughs> On the flip side, what is one thing you've tried sexually that you wouldn't be doing again? Mm.
1: It's a tough question I know you said rapid fire <laughs> um, I don't really I don't really like the the role play it feels a little too much like work in my personal sex life I, I want it to be more um, genuine rather than a scene yeah, yeah
0: that's fair and last one here if you had the world's attention for 30 seconds what would you say
1: I would say, all right, here's my 30 seconds. Sex work is real work. It is nothing to judge anyone for. Working on yourself is the best thing you can do for yourself and others. Be kind and be strong enough to admit when you are. not right yeah
0: those are good little nuggets (laughs) awesome okay well that's it for this episode Courtney thank you so much for coming on where can people find you
1: oh you can find me on Instagram at the posh tart and I'll be putting up um a link in bio to get to my other digital platforms because those handles are always changing
0: awesome and Riley where can people find you you can find me at Vancity Riley on Instagram. Awesome. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at 50plusatip or email me at 50 plus a tip at gmail.com. If you have any questions or comments for us or for Courtney, throw them our way and we will pass them along. Again, thank you so much for joining us, Courtney. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I know it's a little like belated now, but congratulations on winning. Yeah. <laughs> ah,
1: Thank you.
0: What, <laughs> is it only eight years too late? Like- yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Have a wonderful week and happy hoeing.
2: Bye.